Section 7 of Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2, by Washington Irving. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 2, by Washington Irving. Book 4, Chapter 11. The eyes of all New Amsterdam were now turned to see what would be the end of this direful feud between William the Testy and the patron of Rensselaerwick. And some, observing the consultations of the governor with the skipper and the trumpeter, predicted warlike measures by sea and land. The wrath of William Kieft, however, though quick to rise, was quick to evaporate. He was a perfect brush-heap in a blaze snapping and crackling for a time and then ending in smoke like many other valiant potentates his first thoughts were all for war his sober second thoughts for diplomacy accordingly govert lockerman was once more dispatched up the river in the company's yacht the good hope bearing anthony the trumpeter as ambassador to treat with the belligerent powers of rensselaerstein in the fullness of time the yacht arrived before Bairn Island, and Anthony the trumpeter, mounting the poop, sounded a parley to the forces. In a little while the steeple-crowned hat of Nicholas Korn, the wachtmeister, rose above the battlements, followed by his iron visage, and ultimately his whole person, armed as before to the very teeth, while one by one a whole row of Helderbergers reared their round burly heads above the wall, and beside each pumpkin-head peered the end of a rusty musket. Nothing daunted by this formidable array, Anthony Van Corlear drew forth and read with audible voice a missive from William the Testy, protesting against the usurpation of Bairn Island, and ordering the garrison to quit the premises, bag and baggage, on pain of the vengeance of the potentate of the Manhattoes. In reply, the wachtmeister applied the thumb of his right hand to the end of his nose, and the thumb of his left hand to the little finger of the right, and spreading each hand like a fan, made an aerial flourish with his fingers. Anthony Van Corlear was sorely perplexed to understand this sign, which seemed to him something mysterious and masonic. Not liking to betray his ignorance, he again read with a loud voice the missive of William the Testy, and again Nicholas Korn applied the thumb of his right hand to the end of his nose, and the thumb of his left hand to the little finger of the right, and repeated this kind of nasal weathercock. Anthony Van Corlear now persuaded himself that this was some shorthand sign or symbol current in diplomacy which, though unintelligible to a new diplomat like himself, would speak volumes to the experienced intellect of William the Testy. Considering his embassy, therefore, at an end, he sounded his trumpet with great complacency, and set sail on his return down the river, every now and then practising this mysterious sign of the wachtmeister to keep it accurately in mind. Arrived at New Amsterdam, he made a faithful report of his embassy to the governor, accompanied by a manual exhibition of the response of Nicholas Korn. 
the governor was equally perplexed with his ambassador he was deeply versed in the mysteries of freemasonry but they threw no light on the matter he knew every variety of windmill and weathercock but was not a whit the wiser as to the aerial sign in question he had even dabbled in egyptian hieroglyphics and the mystic symbols of the obelisk but none furnished a key to the reply of nicholas corn he called a meeting of his council anthony van corlear stood forth in the midst and putting the thumb of his right hand to his nose and the thumb of his left hand to the finger of the right he gave a faithful facsimile of the portentous sign having a nose of unusual dimensions it was as if the reply had been put in capitals but all in vain the worthy burgomasters were equally perplexed with the governor each one put his thumb to the end of his nose spread his fingers like a fan imitated the motion of anthony van corlear then smoked on in dubious silence several times was anthony obliged to stand forth like a fugleman and repeat the sign and each time a circle of nasal weathercocks might be seen in the council chamber perplexed in the extreme william the testy sent for all the soothsayers and fortune-tellers and wise men of the manhattoes but none could interpret the mysterious reply of nicholas corn the council broke up in sore perplexity the matter got abroad anthony van corlear was stopped at every corner to repeat the signal to a knot of anxious newsmongers each of whom departed with his thumb to his nose and his fingers in the air to carry the story home to his family for several days all business was neglected in new amsterdam nothing was talked of but the diplomatic mission of anthony the trumpeter nothing was to be seen but knots of politicians with their thumbs to their noses in the meantime the fierce feud between william the testy and killian van rensselaer which at first had menaced deadly warfare gradually cooled off like many other war questions in the prolonged delays of diplomacy still to this early affair of rensselaerstein may be traced the remote origin of those windy wars in modern days which rage in the bowels of the helderberg and have well nigh shaken the great patroonship of the van rensselaers to its foundation for we are told that the bully boys of the helderberg who served under nicholas corn the wachtmeester carried back to their mountains the hieroglyphic sign which had so sorely puzzled anthony van corlear and the sages of the manhattoes so that to the present day the thumb to the nose and the fingers in the air is apt to be the reply of the helderbergers whenever called upon for any long arrears of rent end of section seven